Hey guys, I'm Lorena and thanks for checking out this message today. We're so glad that you're here and we want to connect with you and your family. So please text River Connect to 97000 and you can also um, visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and all the upcoming events we have. And lastly, if you want to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321 or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Uh, thanks again for joining us, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. My name is Roy Towns, and I'm the Grow Pastor for the River Church. We're going to be starting today in Philippians chapter 4. We want to welcome any of you who are guests, right? We want to welcome you, whether you're joining us online or whether you're joining us in person. We are excited that you're here. It is our effort to love you. It is our effort to meet you. It is our effort to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you and to point others toward that relationship with him. Many people ask me, what does a grow pastor do? I can't tell if they're making fun of my job when they ask. Oh, I know what other people do. What do you do, right? So I always want to get the opportunity to share my responsibilities. It's my privilege to lead our growth community initiative here at the church we have 138 different groups that are meeting in four counties during the week. We're really excited about our growth communities. We know that once people are reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we try to get them into our gathering, which is today. And once you start to gather, you don't want to be stagnant, right? So we need you to grow in community. We need you to grow in God's word. And we try to push you, the scripture says, stir you up, spur you into that relationship with a growth community. And then from there, we try to train you up, right, through the gospel, through his word, so that we can go back out and reach the community again and bring others in. And it's a great way of multiplying and duplicating. So it's my privilege. And we also have a lineup of great growth communities here in the Goodrich area. So please take this chance. Take a chance on meeting with the group. We have some wonderful groups. It's also, we have some specialty groups because we have nine locations, right? We have River Moms that meets here and in Holly. We have a divorce care group. We have young marrieds. We have young adults. We have grief share for those of you who are struggling with grief. We have an addiction and recovery ministry, right? We have these groups. It's also my privilege to coordinate the sermon series. It's this month it's been Reach, Gather, Grow in Philippians, right? Next month it will be our family series in February. It's going to be a wonderful series, a study of Ruth, all right? So you can find that in print at guest services. You can find that for free on the website or on the app. We also have devotions each day that we publish. Some people say, well, I, you know, it's too hard for me to remember to go to the app each day for the devotion. Not a problem. You go to 97,000 and say, I want the devotion, and we will email it to you every day. All right? We want to help you. We want to assist you. We want to push you toward that growth. It's also my privilege to be part of the Pastors Academy, our pastor's training program, uh, big events, women's retreats, men's retreats, senior events. We have a big married couples date night that's going to be right here in Goodrich on February 16th. I'm hoping that many of you will attend that. So we have a lot going on. But it was just an exciting time to be part of the church. It's an exciting time to be part of the gathering. 
I'm super blessed to be able to share with you this morning. You say, well, what's so exciting? Number one, people say, well, what are you excited about? And I go, well, it's been an awesome month. Not just what's happening tonight at 6, okay? That's been awesome too, okay? And for those of you that don't know, I graduated from the University of Michigan. So it's been an awesome year for that one too. My son plays college football, and he was in the final eight teams. His team was in the final eight. It has been, I tell you what, I, don't, I think I'm going to have to give up, give up football after this year. I don't know if it could ever. But it's been an awesome week, an awesome year so far, an awesome month to be part of the church because we have been studying Philippians together. We've been talking about the vision and mission. It was exciting to see what's been done in your parking lot, right? That power of three. We want to thank you for those who who pray about our facilities and those who give to our facilities and those who help us repair our facility. I know there's a section still left, but wow, I drove a car. I didn't have to drive my pickup this morning. When I pulled in the parking lot, I'm like, wow, this is incredible, right? And so we are thankful. It's an exciting time when I see that. But it's also an exciting time when we see how the church learned to reach. We had a training. It's still available online, learning to reach your world and how important. Because many times you say, why do you guys keep talking about this so much? Because what happens is the church starts to gather and we start to be comfortable with the people that we're comfortable with. And then the church historically has started to segregate itself and push back and say, you're not welcome here. The church became a country club in America. Membership has its privileges. We have to stay committed to pushing each other in love to reach our community. And that's why we do things like a training and say, hey, these are some tools to help you as you try to reach the world, your world. And then we moved on to gathering right at such a special time. I can tell you, I was like, wow, when I got here, I had not seen the extra rows. I was like, wow, wow, I even counted the rows, so I know how many rows there are. I actually had somebody help me count the rows. I said, how many rows are they? And they counted them for me. I said, wow. This is just incredible. But we also have need when we gather. I know the video that was shown and the, and the menus that were given is like, hey, when the church gathers, it's not just about you sitting there in that seat. And I'm glad these are comfortable seats. I want you to know. I go to all nine locations. You guys got it going on when it comes to seats. All right? There's some comfortable seats. But it's not just about sitting in your seat. We talked about auditorium hosts and security and worship and production, people that are teaching our kids, right? We have a lot going on. So we want to make sure that we talk about the vision to gather because there's many people that choose not to gather. There's people that I know we could just think about. They used to be here. Are they not gathering anymore? And so we want to make sure we stay focused and talk about how the church needs to gather. And then last week, I know Pastor Josh was talking about this. I listened to part of his sermon and how we grow and how we grow and how the Apostle Paul was teaching us. And we have these growth communities to grow in community, but grow in his word. And it's important for us. Pastor Josh said it's not just about coming and gathering. It's about growing up. It's about maturing as a believer where the Apostle Paul was challenging us in this book about the way we think, how important it is that what we think about. And I ask people, do we think about reaching? 
or do I just think about myself? I have a friend who says this, and I love it because it really applies to me. I might not be much, but I'm all I think about. (laughs) And that's why we push on a vision month. That's why we stay so dedicated to his word, because we might not be much, but we're all we think about. And we have to be thinking of others, right? We have to be thinking of the gathering. We have to be thinking about how we need to grow. And we had never arrived. The Apostle Paul says he did not arrive. He was still learning. He was still growing. In Philippians 4, verse 8, I know Pastor Josh read this to you last week. I want to read it again. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In continuing our church mission month, which really we got from the scriptures, we got from Jesus, reach, gather, and grow, but we will conclude this month with a message today on giving. You heard me right, it's giving. Don't, don't run for the door yet. I saw some people elbow their neighbor. Did he just say this was about giving? He's gonna preach a sermon on giving? I don't know that I like to hear a sermon about giving. The message makes many of us uncomfortable, myself included. I'm gonna have to thank Pastor Josh for leaving me giving to preach on. It's a message that we've seen those that go before us that maybe they've manipulated people. That is not what we will do today. Maybe they have twisted the scriptures. That is not what we will do today. But we also know as pastors and elders, we are called to preach and to teach the entirety of God's word, even when it makes me uncomfortable. Even when it makes you uncomfortable, God's word reveals this. In 2 Timothy 2.15, there's some instructions. You don't have to turn there. It's going to be on the screen. I want you to stay in Philippians 4. That's where we're going to spend most of our time. 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And so we would not be doing our job as pastors, as teachers, as elders at the church if we never speak to this. It's transformational in our lives. There's no need to head for the door. I promise I'm as uncomfortable as you may be too. But today we've titled the message Contentment and Giving from Philippians chapter 4. Will you pray with me this morning? Lord, we love you. Lord, I pray that I clearly speak your word and articulate your word. Lord, we pray for the Holy Spirit that will be moving this morning as we have gathered together on the Lord's day. Lord, I pray the Spirit would move in a way that people could know my heart. I preach to myself today. I preach to our group, our body of believers that have gathered today. Lord, I pray that your word will move us and move us as we grow and mature more and more on this road to sanctification. 
We pray for our gathering. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians, and us being in chapter 4 today, the Holy Spirit, we know that the Holy Spirit moved men as they wrote these scriptures. We know this. And it was masterful how words are used. And those words, they can have loaded meanings. And sometimes the words can have heavier meanings. You know, for example, I, you know, it's very interesting in American culture. And I could say, you know, I know about this garden. You know, it's down the road and it's way off the road and it's way back in the woods. And there's this garden we need to go check out. And people are like, that sounds great, Roy. That sounds great. But if I go... There's a secret garden. Did he say secret? Did he say there's a secret garden? Right? When my kids were little and I wanted a hug and they didn't want to give me a hug. And I, you, I know I'm one of those bad dads. When I hug them, I'm hugging them, you know. And I start to rub my whiskers on their neck and I start to kiss them, you know. And they're like, you know. And they didn't want to come up to me. But there was a real powerful word that would get them to come up to me. And I just sit there and go, oh, I was going to tell you a secret. And they'd be like, I want to know the secret. Well, you got to come up to me. I got to tell you a secret in your ear. No, you're just going to tickle me. You're just going to hug me and not let go. I guess you don't know the secret. And it wouldn't take but a minute. They're right over there on my lap waiting to hear the secret, right? When we were checking the internet, I, I checked it out. 504 most popular books with the word secret in the title, right? It is a powerful, loaded word teasing our kids. Our ears perk up. We want to know the secret. I've, I've eaten some of your food. We had a cakewalk at the last senior event. Let me tell you, there was some beautiful-looking cakes that people shared with me. And immediately after they shared the cake with me, what did I say? What, what is that in, that makes this chocolate cake so different? And they go, oh, it's, it's a family secret. But I'll tell you. <laughs> well, it ain't a secret if you're going to tell me. But it sure makes it sound fun to hear, Right? Right? Well, the Apostle Paul, in this section of Scripture we're going to study today, he says he has a secret. He has learned a secret. And we want to know what that secret may be as we study the Word. He also uses words, you know. My wife would tease me. She said, what are you doing? Well, I'm on YouTube watching. Do you know these people found a secret room in their house when they were remodeling their house? She's like, yeah, well, we're supposed to be doing this. Yeah, but they found a secret room. I don't, it, it's, I, it's my like, it's my weakness. There's a secret room in this house and I have to watch the 40 minutes and I'm trying to just get to the end. I just want to see the room, right? Well, we don't have to race. It's just a section of about 10 verses that we're going to read today, but it's going to be a long reading as we begin. So Philippians 4 verses 10 through 20 is where we will be starting out. Philippians 4 verses 10 through 20. God's word says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I'm speaking of being in need, 
For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except for you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now that I see, now not, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So there's a lot of famous scripture packed into this section of scripture. We're going to break it down, okay? First, he is expressing his gratitude. For those that are just catching up with us, Paul was a prisoner. And unlike our current prison system, when you were a prisoner, you were chained to the guard in this way. He was chained to a guard, but the guard didn't feed him. There was no, you know, climate-controlled cell. There was no so many minutes out in the yard. You were very dependent upon your friends and your family to supply your need while you were a prisoner. So Paul, even though he's giving this wonderful teaching to us, he is dependent on the church. He's dependent on those who believe to supply his physical need, to supply the food that he's going to eat to supply the clothes that he needs to change into, to supply the blanket that he may need when he is cold. Roman prisoners, it was an interesting system. So Paul uses the word here, content. Another one of those, those loaded words. Now you and I might look at it and go, content, that doesn't mean, that. we understand secret, Roy, but we don't understand content. He was using a word that in the Greek culture that was from a pagan religion. And I'm sure when he's writing this letter and they're reading it in the church, I'm sure they're like, I'm sure some eyebrows, I don't know how to raise my eyebrow, but you know, the eyebrow is raising. Wait a second. Wait a second here. He's using a word that we only know in connection to this pagan cult, this pagan religion. So as I've studied it, it means, this contentment means to be completely and entirely self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. Self-reliant. I would argue that we don't want to live the way these Stoics lived, but in many ways, we as the church, we as the body of believers, in our personal lives, my life included, we seem to be very interested in being self-sufficient. We seem to be very interested in being self-reliant. See, what do you mean? A lot of people tell me, I can't do this. I'm working on my house. 
I'm working to own my house. I bought too big of a house. I'm working on my job. I'm working on my business. I'm packing up my 401k. I'm doing all these things to make sure that nobody can hurt me. I'm going to be completely self-reliant, man. When I, when I retire, I'm going to have this nest egg. You know, I'm providing for my kids. They're going to have the best of this and the best of that. And we miss a huge part of our Christian walk. We miss a major part of our Christian life. I'm not saying that working hard. I'm not saying that providing for your family. I'm not saying... The devil is great when our lives are consumed with a lot of good things because we miss the greatest things. I'm not saying that any of those things are bad or wrong, but when they became, become our major focus in life, when they be, that's what we're working toward. Well, I'm not worried about reaching my world. I'm worried about putting 15% in my 401k. I'm not worried about gathering with the saints. Do you know how much money I can make on Sunday building my business? I'm not worried about helping people in that regard. I don't, growth community, are you kidding me? Man, I work hard. When it's nighttime, I'm resting. I'm not getting up and going back out to somebody's house to study his word. What's going on? And so you say, wait a second. We can fall very easily into this trap of being self-reliant. Let's see how Paul described it. Let's go back to verse 11. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, of course, this ancient religion, these Stoics, we, they would propose to do it very differently than we would. They would propose to do it in a way that we wouldn't like, but it's still self-reliance that we are fighting in our culture. The Stoics... Their goal was to eliminate all desire. With your self-will, you were to eliminate all desire. In our culture, what would we say? No, 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 we're not doing that. But we're going to feed all of our self-desires. The average American, what's their number one goal? Comfort. After comfort, what's the number one goal? Entertainment. If we're being honest with ourselves, it's a self-reliance. It's what we want. It's not what God has for us. They would eliminate all desire. Contentment to them was not possessing a lot and not wanting a lot. They would achieve a self-reliance or sufficiency by wanting very little. Socrates, I know many of us have heard about this guy, pretty famous guy. He's quoted as saying, he who is content with the least for contentment is nature's wealthiest man. Now wait a second. When you read that quote, he who is content with the least of contentment is nature's wealthiest man. Well, Roy, I might agree with that. Well, we might agree with it because it's still based upon self-reliance. 
We might agree with it because its, face, its, its focus is on man and its focus is not on God. They believe that eliminating all emotion so that someone could arrive at something and not care. Till you got to the point where you could watch one of your loved ones die and say, I don't care. I don't care. By my self-determination, by my self-will, I don't care. Well, people, look, Roy, that's not who we are. I know. I know. Right? But maybe we care more about what we care about than what he cares about. What's the difference? What's the difference to God? He says, I'd like you to care about these things. Yeah, I know. Well, when, I, you know, when I'm older and I don't have as many things going on and when I, when I have more time or when I have more money or when I've done this or when I've done that or when my comfort level is up or when I get that house or when you know, my kids have these things. Socrates, right? Famous guy, smart guy. They still study him today. Eliminating all the emotion from the human heart. Well, we know that most of us are not worried about that, but we achieve contentment by getting and storing up so that nobody can hurt us, so that we don't need anything from others. But there are these great needs that we have. One commentator wrote it this way. We see at once the difference between the Stoics and Paul. The Stoics, they said, I will learn contentment by a deliberate act of my will. And Paul teaches us in scriptures, I can do all things through Christ who infuses his strength into me. As a matter of fact, in chapter 4, verse 13, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. For the Stoics, contentment was a human achievement. For Paul, it is a divine gift of God. The Stoic is self-sufficient. Paul says we're to be God-sufficient. Stoicism failed because it was inhumane. Christianity succeeded and has flourished because it's rooted in the divine. Paul could face anything because in every situation, he had Christ. The man or the woman who walks with Christ can cope with anything. Church, our, our self-sufficiently, may, our being self-sufficient may look differently than the Stoics. But what does our culture and our country look at for contentment? Where do we find our self-worth? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm really good at sports. That's what the young people tell me. That's great. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty attractive. You know, people think, I know I'm not, I'm pretending to be somebody who's pretty attractive. Oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty smart. I'm pretty talented musically. You know, my family has saved up a lot of money, so I, I'm, I'm pretty set. I'm going to college on a full ride. Where do you find your self-worth? Oh, I have these wonderful little idols that are good things called children that I idolize. I have a wonderful little idol sitting next to me called my spouse. Our lives can be cons consumed with good things. But what is the Scripture telling us? Where is the Scripture pointing 
us. Number one, we need to find our self-worth, find our identity in Christ. God Almighty, we learned in Philippians, became a man so that he could die for our sins. And you find your self-worth in the fact that you're good looking? I mean, if you looked around the room, most of us don't stay good looking. I'm just being honest, guys. I'm right there with you. I, I crested the hill a long time ago as far as good looking. Oh, I'm strong. Hmm. Not many strong people I do their funerals. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm super smart. Hmm. Way technology's changing? I have no idea, man. I carry around a device that's more powerful than the computer that sent people to the moon, and I take pictures with it. And I send heart emojis. I know how to say, turn on. Do this. Check the internet. Find this for me. All right? The other day I was at a funeral. They said, we used to print maps, but nobody can read them. So why print a map, right? Where do we find our self-worth? Let's go back to verse 11. Verse 11. Second half of verse 11. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and be content. I know how to abound and be content. In any circumstance, be content. In every circumstance, be content. I can face plenty and be content. I can be hungry and be content. I can have abundance and be content. And I can have need and be content. Where do you find your contentment? Do we find our contentment in Christ? I was thinking of this. You know, the secret. Like, I, I don't know if they still do it because I'm not cool. I crested that hill a long time ago too. Okay, if I ever was on it. But the secret handshakes. Now, some of you guys remember secret handshakes, right? You know, mm, 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 you know, all that stuff we do. Secret handshakes, secret signs, you know. <laughs> Whatever the sign was, right? You had to know how to say it and do it, right? The secret sign, secret handshake, you know? It was a secret. It meant you were part of the group, right? It's interesting to me. Secret sayings, you know? I hang around a lot of people and they quote movies. That's a secret saying like everyone's got. You have to learn, you know, pardon my friend, he's a little slow. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? That's a Batman one. You know, all these different movie quotes, right? There's these secret sayings. There's these secret handshakes. What is the secret to success for us as Americans? Super interesting to me. John D. Rockefeller. I'm a history teacher. Sorry. Turn off for 30 seconds. John D. Rockefeller, the richest man to have ever lived. Elon Musk is only half of the worth that John D. Rockefeller had. He was asked, what will make you happy? What will lead to contentment for you? What makes success? He's worth $410 billion by today's standards. And he said, one more dollar. One more dollar. You got 410 billion of them? 
And you think one more is going to make you happy? One more is going to lead to a life of contentment? Just one more dollar. Church, this is not the secret to contentment. Verse 14, chapter 4, verse 14. It says, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, and I started thinking that, listen, many of us in this room, we already know the secret to eternal life, which we try not to keep a secret. We try to tell everybody that we can. But the Philippians, as a body of people, the church had accepted the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. They believed in Christ. Some here today may wonder, what does he mean, believing in Jesus Christ? In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 46 and 47, Christ spoke to the disciples before he was ascending into heaven. And he reminded them. And he said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Listen, we have the secret. The secret is that Christ came and he died. He suffered for our sins and he died and that the repentance, and he would rise again on the third day, and that the repentance, the turning away, the confessing of those sins can lead to this relationship. We do this, and it leads to this relationship with God. And he loves us, and he's provided this for us. But many in this room today, I don't know, I heard that everybody's making it to heaven. I hear, oh, all roads lead to heaven. There's many paths to heaven, right? Are you telling me? Listen, I'm telling you what the scripture says. John 14, 6, it'll be on the screen. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man, no one comes to the Father except through me. I don't care what somebody told you. We're trying to read the scripture to you. It just doesn't seem fair to me, Roy. I understand. I'm trying to teach you the scripture. Christ said this before he ascended, that he was going to suffer. He reminded and said, listen, I had to suffer, and I had to die, and I had to raise, be raised from the dead, and the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. He is the only way. The worldly counsel is wrong. We want to make sure that you know the secret to eternal life is Jesus Christ. It's not an actual secret. John 3, I know you thought I was going to say 16, but verses 17 and 18 clarify this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It's not this guy's just, he came to save you. Whoever believes in the name, whoever believes in the name of Jesus, whoever believes, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. 
we're already condemned if we don't believe. We're already on that path if we don't believe. And then the very end, why are we are because you have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. We want to make sure that our community, we want to make sure that those in our church understand this secret. But God showed his love toward us, Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. I invite you today, if you do not understand what I am saying, please speak to somebody near you. Please look for one of our workers who are wearing a lanyard. Please come to the front and ask me, and I'd be happy. It would be my privilege to share God's word with you. We want you to understand this. We want you to know this. Philippians 4, verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, so they understood the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you. Except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my need once and again. We know that the scripture is teaching us we start with this contentment. And that contentment comes from that relationship that we have. And we have that relationship and we understand where we now are going and we're going to be learning and growing. And our contentment is the fact that Almighty God died for us. My self-worth comes from that. And now we move into generosity and giving. How did the Philippians respond to the gospel effort? They gave. This is super interesting to me because this is where the history nerds coming out. I'm sorry. Again, some of you are like, hated that class. If I was a teacher, you loved it, all right? So you say, what do you mean? The Philippian church was super poor. It's so interesting to me. The apostle Paul, right, takes the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentile world. We are here today as part of that Gentile world, and the only church that supported him was one of the poorest churches to ever exist. The rich churches that he went to and he spoke to, he worked a job because he didn't want to take their money because he thought their money would get in the way of them hearing the gospel. But the poor, he rejoices He's in prison, and they know the Roman system is somebody needs to send him something. Who's sending him something? The poor. The people who don't have. So interesting to me. Just one of those things, the very application of the love that they had for him and the love that he had for them and the love that they had for Christ and the love that they had for the things of Christ. He goes on and he clarifies it, though, in verse 17. Please, I'm almost done. Stay with me. Now that I seek the gift, excuse me, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Verse 18, 
I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So interesting. Paul is making sure her here that he knows and they know that he's thankful and excited about the gift, but not in a selfish man way. Did he need it? Sure. Would he be content without it? Sure. But what we're missing is the very blessing that the Philippian church received. Now this is where it gets hard because if we're going to look honestly at the world, we live in a culture here in America, guys, unlike any other culture has ever had the wealth that we have. Being that weird history teacher, the poorest American is in the top 2% of the wealthiest people in the world. They told me if I have a garage to put my junk in, I'm in the top 1%. Some of us have three garages. And we pay 500 bucks a month for a stupid self-storage shed to put junk in. If we're being honest, and that's all I'm asking, for us to examine ourselves. The scripture says over and over, let's examine ourselves. Paul says, listen, I appreciate the gift Verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What does he mean there? It's about their kindness, their generosity, their love will count as fruit that increases to their credit. One author I like to read paraphrased what Paul was saying here. He said, I don't need anything. For I have more than enough, because I'm content. But I'm glad that you gave me a gift for your own sake. For your kindness will stand greatly to your credit in the sight of God. Listen, we didn't preach on giving today because there's some shortfall at the church. We didn't preach on giving because I'm trying to get anybody here to give. I'm trying to teach his word. I'm trying to teach his word in a way that we can hear it and accept it. I'm trying to teach his word to help us grow and be more mature, more mature so we understand that he has called us to this life and relationship with him. He has called us to be generous. He has called us to give. And he calls that giving, that sacrificial giving that they're doing, a fragrant offering. Then he calls it a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Two descriptors there, a fragrant offering and it's acceptable and pleasing. Now listen, I do things to please my wife all the time. I do things to please my kids. I'd like them to be happy about some things, right? Not everything, but some things, right? I do this at work because I'm trying to do a good job and I want it to be pleasing. I was a little stressed out yesterday about this sermon because I want it to be 
pleasing to you. I want it to be in a way that you can hear it, in a way that you can understand it, in a way that you're not offended by it, but I want it to change your life. And Paul says that their offering was a fragrant offering. And I started studying this and started thinking about it. And in the Old Testament times, when they would prepare an offering to God, there are a few times that it says, like after the flood, and Noah prepares an offering. And it says that the Lord God, it was a special, sweet smell to him. It was pleasing It was acceptable to him. Well, in the New Testament, this is used twice. It's used once to describe the giving of a church generously, and it's used another time for the sacrifice that Jesus Christ gave for mankind. In Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, Ephesians 5, verse, keep your finger in Philippians 4, please. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. This gift, this fragrant offering, this sacrifice that's acceptable and pleasing to God. And it made me wonder, what else is an odor of a sweet smell to God? And in the New Testament, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I'm ashamed at how often I miss it. The only time these words were used in the New Testament are in this instance, and it refers to Christ. Paul is describing the sacrificial giving of the poorest church, or one of the poorest churches, and how God received it. And God received it as a beautiful, sweet smell that ministers to God, that blesses God. We often think of how he blesses us but these, these, this is a way that we get to bless him with a sweet smell. And then comes a promise. Verses 19 and 20. Philippians 4, verses 19 and 20. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now this comes to the part where our prosperity gospel preachers have twisted it. They've twisted it sometimes into something that's gross. They've twisted it sometimes into something that is sick. They've twisted it sometimes into something that's disturbing to me. I sat there and I heard a preacher say one time when they were getting ready to take the offering, I'm going to give you an opportunity to earn some more money this week depending on how much you put in the plate. I wanted to puke. My stomach was just, mm, wanted to scream, wanted to puke, wanted to make a scene. I didn't. It's their church. And in no way is the River Church, or am I in any way telling you that. 
Now, with that said, there is a promise here in verse 19 that we need to think about. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. The wealth of God is open to us for those who love him, love their fellow man, and give. We're not talking about people who waste their money. We're not talking about people who squander their money. We're not talking about people who don't work. We're not talking about any of those things. All those things, you know, I know it's an election year and we all our minds go, that's not what we're talking about. I want you to examine yourself. Don't examine your neighbor. Don't examine the people on the other side of the political aisle. Don't examine people that are walking across the border. Don't examine anybody else. Examine yourself. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. Not from his riches, according to his riches. It really has a a connotation or a meaning here. It's not a rich man giving me a dollar. It's the richest person there ever will be giving me according to his riches. Not just giving from his abundance, but giving from all that he has. And if we examine ourselves, we will realize, for those of us who know Christ, we've been blessed in so many ways. To those here this morning, I know a secret. The secret to eternal life is through Jesus Christ our Lord, confessing and believing. The secret to contentment is through God-sufficiency, not self-sufficiency. And the secret to a beautiful, sweet-smelling sacrifice to God is by me being faithful and generous in my giving. Will you please stand as I close in prayer?